You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I'm your co-host, PJ, along with Matt Shiles, and I'm doing something different today. I'm standing as opposed to sitting, which is probably making you nervous. I was actually going to say that. You are making me nervous, yeah. and, and I'm wondering if this is going to translate to you being a little more preachy, because this weekend you taught more than I did. normal. yeah. And normally in Extra Takes, you do a lot of teaching. It felt so. like a seminary class is what it felt like. I liked it. Yeah. I think maybe because I'm used to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, so Joni and I, for Mother's Day, I took her to My Fair Lady at okay. the Phillips Center. And so well, we got home, I mean, at a, at a decent hour. But when you take, you know, preaching three times and going to see a play and all, like, I mean, I'm just tired. So, so I fig- figured I would just kind of stand up and, you know, keep keep the blood circulating so I didn't become boring on extra <laughs> takes. So, so we'll uh, try it. I love it. But yes. it won't it won't be a, a pattern or anything, I don't think. <laughs> yes, yeah, so so yesterday was was Mother's Day this weekend. Happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. And um and yeah, it was uh it was interesting and unique how we were able to address Mother's Day in a couple different ways. We always want to celebrate it. Uh, Lauren, in her announcements, obviously also celebrated it, but recognized, hey, this can be a, a very challenging time um, for some or for many of us. And and even in the sermon uh, through th- when we talked about prayer, you, you gave some very practical examples of um, of prayer and how that is uh, is lived out through. Uh, through motherhood, the yeah. uh, the the disappointments yep. and um, and just some of the things that we just have to to wrestle with. Absolutely, and there will be times where I might give a Mother's Day message, but particularly when I was thinking about this year, I mean, we're already in the Book of Acts, and so I I, I don't feel the pressure to always carve out because there there are. Uh, a lot of of women out there that it is a very tough day for them. So, but to still acknowledge all of our mo- mothers, but then also to acknowledge all of the the other women and mothers that might not have a, a more celebratory tone sure. uh, with with them. And so, so yeah, you're striking that balance, and sometimes it's really hard to strike that balance. Yeah. So, as a reminder, this weekend we are continuing our empowered series. Uh, and this was May 12th and 13th, Acts 12, 1 through 24. So your main point, the main point was God's sovereignty doesn't always line up with human strategy. So we should seek to align our human strategy with God's sovereignty. Yeah. And we had an outline. We really looked at two different categories, God's sovereignty and the non-Christian strategy for life. And that was King Herod, the unbelieving Jews, and soldiers. And then the second was God's sovereignty and the Christian strategy for life. And we looked at James, Peter, and the church. So, so starting off, um, for the opener, we define God's sovereignty. So a big question for you. Why do you, why do you like to define everything? Because we use words that... We think we know, but we don't know. Like I'll give you a for instance, because you were in the staff meeting earlier when I asked I asked 
the staff in this meeting, I said, do you know what Hosanna means? Hmm. And, I'm, and it was like deer in the headlight stares. Well, I because eh. we sang a song this past weekend that said Hosanna in the highest. Hmm. So I said, so what does Hosanna mean? And so, I mean, I'm talking about like blank stares and they're trying. And I told them, so it means pray, you know, pray, save me. So it's a plea to God mm-hmm. for, for salvation is what Hosanna actually means. And so hallelujah means praise the Lord. Hosanna means pray, save me. You know, so it's a plea, it's a calling out to God to save. And so we, so that's an example of how we sing a song yeah. that, I mean, mature believers sitting around the table have forgotten what Hosanna means. And so we throw out this term like God is sovereign. Yeah. Well, what does that mean yeah. that he's sovereign? And then even if you say it means that he's in control, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And so I like to break it down so that you know what we're talking about when when we look at God's sovereignty. And so his rule and reign over all creation and he's working in now and through and over all creation to bring about his ultimate end. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about, like, and I know it's hard to understand this in a democracy because we don't have a king. Yeah. But, but, but when, when you have a king and a kingdom, everything revolves around that king. Yeah. Um, and so everything is, and, and, and he's going to be orchestrating and he's going to be, in, in some sense, working in and through and over his kingdom to make sure mm. that that what he wants happens. Mm. And if it doesn't, I mean, you know, th- there's always consequences and repercussions, you know, for that. Yeah. And so, so there's 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 not a in some sense a, a, a general distinction between God, He's King over all creation, and so now He's wanting to impose His rule and reign over all creation, and He is working in and and through and over all of the creation, to make sure that happens. Which is why here here's His ultimate end. He wants to be glorified. Mm-hmm. He wants all of the weight and significance and, and the and the worth being directed towards him. Mm. And so he's going to make sure that happens, though, through redeeming a people from all peoples so that he'll bring heaven to earth. Mm. Because guess who Guess who? everything revolves around in heaven? Mm. God. Well, because mankind's sin, everything down here does not revolve around him, yeah. but he is working everything out to this ultimate end. Mm-hmm. And so now God is the, again, and that's why I wanted to break it down so that you now, you can kind of understand, okay, this is where God's going, yeah. but there's two camps that he, his sovereignty has to work in, through, and over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 and even in both camps, the human strategy doesn't always align with what 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 God's working towards, but it doesn't stop Him working towards it, which is I want what I wanted people to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's grateful, or that's great. You you laid out those those th- those two circles that are overlapping, um, the kingdom of of God and the kingdom of this world, and as as there is this invasion, yeah, um, that's where that's where the church. Is called to to work. Yeah, and so just even think about this, because uh, the 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 Greek word for church is ecclesia. It simply means the called out ones. 
And so, and that's why when you look when you look at that image, you could see the element of called out and the ones God sending back in. Yeah. Because yeah. the church is the the mediation between the kingdom of God and kingdom of man. So the way that God is invading the kingdom of man is that there has been this conversion of those who are living in the kingdom of man where everything revolves around around them, but he has called them out. He has transformed them. He has transferred them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, mm-hmm. and he has sent them back in, which is, is absolutely incredible. I mean, and again, what what other king in all of the stories and all of the history of civilization, what other king has invaded another kingdom, converting those inhabitants, those citizens, converting them into his citizens, but sending them back in to declare this grace and mercy that instead of conquering you mm-hmm. in in force. Instead of annihilating you, instead of condemning you, I'm I'm giving you an opportunity to be saved. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. you use this term in invading to invite. Yeah. Invading to save. Yeah. Um, which, which makes and that's why it's the good news. Yeah. It it is incredible news, and that's why. And you would think. I mean, this is where like in 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 just a. Uh, from from a from a rational Christian point of view, it'd be like, why wouldn't anybody want to want to receive that invitation? But we know this in God's sovereignty. Uh, some some will receive the invitation, and some will reject the invitation. Yeah, and as we look at um, the first big category, God's sovereignty and the non-Christian strategy for life, uh, we laid out three opponents of God: the devil, to Satan. The flesh, which is the sinful nature, and the world, which is Babylon. Um, so, why is it important for us to understand who the import the opponents of God are? I'm reading a book right now where this guy he quotes Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. and one of the ways that Muhammad Ali beat and Joe, you might can help me with this. Was it Joe Frazier or George Foreman? I, I, I couldn't remember. Maybe a George. George it was George Foreman. Yeah. Like, cause yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause George Foreman was much bigger than him. Oh yeah. And it, it was stronger. But because Muhammad Ali knew the strat, because he knew his opponent, he could then craft strategy to defeat his opponent. Opponent, and so he just outlast George Foreman. Was that he the out- dope? It may, maybe I I can't remember you, you know but it's so funny the book that I read it it was a it's a, it's a medical health book so, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, but that that he you know that he's you but he but the whole point was you need to understand your opponent so that you can craft a strategy to defeat your opponent yeah. which is why like when you look at here's the enemies that are opposing God well okay you know what the you know what Satan's going to do and, and there's many tactics that he uses there's there's these schemes these flaming arrows as Paul would write in Ephesians. Then we see in Revelation, so John's writing in Revelation that he's going to accuse the brethren. So there's going to be this accusation of how bad he's going to try to create guilt and shame. We know what happened at the very beginning when Satan came to tempt Eve. He's going to get her to question God's good. I mean, so so but we know. So that's why, like, if you can see where the opposition, if you can see the symptoms of the opposition, it can kind of tell you who who's doing it, right? And then the world, 
And this is what's fascinating about the the city of Babylon. But let, let me just kind of turn, and because I, I mentioned a couple of places where you actually see the city of Babylon as this prototype of the, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. But it, it's found in Revelation uh, 17. So it says, Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And then it's going to go, uh, John's going to talk about how the city of Babylon, so the, again, prototype of the kingdom of man, is leading all these other kingdoms astray. Mm. And so they're the ones that's uniting all of these kingdoms. Again, the prototype, the city of man, the kingdom of God, is uniting all of these non you know, kind of non-Christians, these cities, these kingdoms together to oppose God and his kingdom. And so that, that's the reason why I wanted to make sure I put Babylon there. And so that's where in the, in the city of Babylon, you're going to see wickedness. You're going to see evil. You're going you're gonna to see people, just as we saw in Genesis 11, building their civilization with their glory at the center, not the glory of God at the center. And so yeah. that, that's where like <laughs> you just look at the cities of the world and they have been, quote unquote, influenced by the by by the city of Babylon, the, the kingdom of man, mm. and then the work. Then you look at the sinful nature. That's why Paul's going to write yeah. in Galatians chapter five to believers. And so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of sinful flesh. Yeah. But because the sinful flesh are in opposition to what the Spirit of God wants from us. Yeah. And so that's why it's so, it's so, so in, important to understand the opponents. That's why, mm-hmm. like, when I, when I look at some of the things that are happening within the church that we are capitulating today to truly, you know, and some, and, and, and again, not every church or not every Christian is, but there is a large section of people who profess to be Christians, they are capitulating to the, the fleshly desires of, of human nature, of the world. World, and, and I'm telling, and I'm, and I'm sitting there, and again, I, and I've said this so many times, but I'm just appalled yeah. that that nowhere in in the history of God's people have have God's people believed this when they've been living in the center of of God's glory and kingdom. Now, sure, in, in a wayward way, like yeah, when you look at the Old Testament, when they were wayward, oh my gosh, they were just like the world. But but that's where like again you could see the effects the the opposition of the flesh the world and Satan really trying to oppose God's people and 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 we need to know those things yeah, yeah and and they're all they're three distinct. I'm preaching now you know because I'm you maybe I'm, maybe I'm maybe I'm standing up so <laughs> <laughs> well. well I see that those are three distinct categories, but they all interact with each other. Oh yeah, that's and that's why I did that Venn diagram. I love Venn diagrams, by I the way, yeah. because it does it does show you the sweet spot that they're they're not separate. They they are separate, but they're integrated. Yeah, and that there is a sweet spot. That whenever you see opposition, I, I promise you, it, it's going to be the collusion of our sinful nature, uh, of the influences of the world, and of Satan or you, you, the, the the demonic realm. I actually believe in the demonic. Realm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so along those lines, you said uh, those who do not join God's kingdom will inevitably fight against His kingdom. Um, and you mentioned, hey, you better be aware who you are siding 
with, and, and I personally think we have an epidemic of a lazy discernment. <laughs> I just think so often, and especially believers, we just don't necessarily think about um, the consequences of, of who we're siding with or um, social media and that type of stuff. Who, who, what type of information we're letting to um, to kind of transform us? So, and that's a good. So, I'll just stop you right there because that is something that is a really good point. And I actually, when I was when I was preparing for, I actually prepared for this podcast. So, oh, yeah. No, well, I say prepared. I, I thought about some jotting down some notes, but that would be strategically stupid. That'd be one of the strategically stupid things that we do as Christians is that we don't we don't really think uh, we, we're lazy. Uh, yeah. We don't have discernment. I mean, yeah. Paul's going to write in Ephesians chapter five that that you need to you need to be aware of how you walk. Like mm. how you live, mm. you know, so you need to be wise. And yeah. so, but we're lazy. Yeah. And that is a strategically stupid thing that Christians do also yeah. that prevent them from aligning strategically with the sovereign will of God. Yeah. Um, so keeping that in mind that, you know, those not joining God's kingdom will fight against his kingdom, but also that this invasion is to invite. My question is, how do we make sure... Uh, to not approach non-believers as the enemy. How oh, so? We're going to jump all the way. Where are we going to jump there? <laughs> well, no, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. How do we make sure that we're not going to approach them as as the enemy, the non-believers? Well, not the believers, but the non-believers. The non- yeah, you got to look. You got to look at people far from Jesus the way Jesus looked at them. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that Christians. The longer that we know the Lord, the easier it is to forget of what it used to be like right. when we didn't know him. Yeah. And that's where I, I just love John chapter 3. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jesus is saying, I did not come to condemn the world because the world is already condemned. Yeah. I, I came to save the world. Yeah. And, and so that's where, I, I mean, I really try to hold that intention. I mean, the world already stands in judgment. Mm. And so, so therefore, I'm, I'm going to treat them the way, I'm going to look at them the way Jesus did. Mm. And what's interesting, because I am watching The Chosen right now, is, is how Jesus is looking at, you know, looking at Samaritans, uh, looking at those you know, people that were lame or uh, the, lep, you know, the leper colony. And he is looking at them completely different than anybody else in the context, which is why when when you're reading scripture, they're having a hard time understanding why Jesus would would touch people, why Jesus would go and speak to a Samaritan woman, and yeah. but but again, it's the eyes, mm. it's the way mm. that Jesus saw them that they that they needed a doctor, that they were sheep without a shepherd, that they didn't know any better, and so it really is the invasion of the kingdom of God to invite those who are not of his kingdom to become part of his kingdom. Mm. And that's why, again, that's is another reason why Paul would write that, that, that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of him, that that is his desire, yeah. even though... That won't happen, which I mean, then then that's where I did bring that kind of thought up because that that is in this this idea of God's sovereignty. I I don't I don't presume to know the mind of the Lord while some are an object of God's wrath and some are an object of God's mercy. I I, I can't I I, I really I, I can't 
presume to know how he's thinking about that because we do know that he desires, but that is not what he wills. And that's, that's two different things. Which yeah, is why, yeah. which is why we leave that up to him, and we align our human strategy to share and show the good news of King Jesus, and let God do what He's going to do. Sure, because God invites His enemies into relationships. Yeah, there is this interesting tension of of invading, but inviting. Yeah, um, yeah, great conversation. Because so, one day He will conquer. Because when Jesus comes back a second time, that's when he's coming. See, what, what, the, what the Jews in the first century, what they in some sense got wrong was the first time the Messiah comes, they thought he's going to conquer. Yeah. But he came to save. Yeah. He, he wanted to save before he conquered. Yeah. So when he comes back the second time, and this is what you see in the book of Revelation, he's coming back to conquer. Mm-hmm. And so in, now it will be a battle. Now every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So you better do that now rather than after the battle because you're going to confess then. Then you're going to spend eternity separated from him, but you're going to know who he is. Yeah. So, And, and then here's another thing about God's sovereignty. Now, now, we're just going, now we're going down the tangents of God's sovereignty because some people would say, well, that's not fair. Yeah. That God would just, in some sense, send people to hell, yeah. even without giving them an opportunity. Well, when you when you look at it that way, you look at it from an anthropocentric perspective, meaning that you look at it from a human mm-hmm. perspective, that you're seeing that it's not fair. No, it's not fair that he saves some. In his eyes, from his perspective, we have all gone astray. There is no one righteous. No, not one. No one deserves life. No one deserves heaven. No one deserves grace. No one deserves mercy. But in God's sovereignty, he's chosen to save some. That's not fair that he saves some. Mm. See, and that's where, again, we have to, get, we, we have to shift our perspective mm. from our sovereign will of how we would enact our own rule and reign, yep. and we have to somehow understand God's sovereignty in the world and how he's enacting his rule and reign. That's not fair. Yeah, well said, because that is, that is a totally common um, question. Yeah, you know, it is, yeah. I think we've even talked yeah. about it and brought it up previously. Yeah. Um, so let's look at this this second category, God's sovereignty and the Christian strategy yeah. for life. This was James, Peter, and the church. Um, so we saw God's sovereignty may involve different strategies for different Christians. And just looking at the comparison between James's death and Peter's escape. So can you dig a little deeper into how we can help the church understand that both glorified God? Yeah. I mean, when you... When you look at James, and and this is why it was fascinating as I was you know as I was kind of diving into it. I mean, you practically have the same person, but you know, obviously two different people. Yeah, both in the inner circle. Yeah, yeah. And, and so and and in, and in God's sovereignty, ones do you know? Uh, but this is part of where that 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 shift of understanding how God would look at things mm-hmm. versus how we would look at things. And I and and just to reiterate, I do think that we have to shift our perspective or change our perspective about Christian death, and and this even also goes to what Paul would also say, I think, to the Thessalonians that we don't grieve as those without hope; we grieve 
as those with hope. Mm. Because the hope is we are going to see them again. The hope is that they have entered into their homecoming eternal life. So therefore, we we do grieve. There is a sorrow. There is a loss. Uh, There is even this anger that that it shouldn't be like this because it shouldn't it it, it never should have been like this yeah, yeah. but it is this way mm. because of sin <laughs> so 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 I, I do think that there has to be that element where we do understand death and and I didn't talk about that side of grieving and being mad and upset like like I, the five stages of grief is very much something that you do see in scripture even though they don't label out the five stages of grief yeah. where, where where the first one is just anger you're just angry I mean Jesus was angry uh, he, he was angry over over death we see that in John 11 when Lazarus dies so so we do that but also know that because of our hope in Christ, there's this homecoming, mm-hmm. and there's this hope that one day we will be reunited. Yeah. King David, he even sees this when his child dies that he had with Bathsheba. So in an act of God's judgment, mm-hmm. God is going to take the baby. Now, again, you deal with that with God's sovereignty. Yeah. But David, in in his this like lament and confession, he actually has this element of hope. Uh, you can't come to me, but I will come to you. Mm. So even in the midst of this immense loss and grief, I mean, so so for the moms out there that you've had the miscarriage, that you've lost a child, like that would even, um, I hope that would bring some kind of, again, there's still going to be a hole. There's still going to be grief. There's still going to be this anguish and anger, mm. but there's also going to be an anchor of hope. That although your child cannot come back to you, because of our faith in him, there will be a reuniting in your homecoming because they've already had theirs. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, and then with the living part, I think that's also important because, I mean, I do, it goes back to your lazy comment about Christians. (laughs) Did you like that? Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's so true, but... Just to understand that if you have breath, that breath isn't yours mm. to do what you want. Yeah. That breath that we've been given is yeah. to live is Christ. So now, and that's why I, I purpose, purposefully said journeying on God's mission. Like if you yeah. have breath, you're still journeying on his mission. Why? Because it goes back to his ultimate end of his sovereign will, that he might be glorified as he redeems a people from all peoples to reflect his glory in all spheres of life, thereby bringing heaven to earth. So as long as we all have breath in our lungs, hmm. our aim is God's aim, mm. and ultimately to bring heaven to earth as he redeems a people from all people. So that is so, so important, which is the glorification part, is that God is glorified in those regards. Yeah, and that's where I think it's important, like you said, to change our perspective um, because it is it's, – it's too hard to understand God's sovereignty – in general, but if we're trying to just, um, you know, have our our um, human perspective, it's just gonna it's just gonna fail. Yep. So, but that goes back to that main point: 
is that yep. God's sovereignty doesn't always align with our human strategy, but we should seek to align our human strategy with his sovereignty, yeah. which is why we have to shift our perspective. Yeah. We have to shift the way we think. We have to shift, in some sense, even the way we believe about things because we've got to we got to seek to align our strategies, our ways of thinking, our yeah. ways of behaving, because that's the strategy. I mean, that's why I use the whole backseat driver and second guesser and Monday morning quarterback. It all had to do with strategy. Yeah. But it was in ways of thinking, like why would you why would you drive that way? Why aren't you parking there? Why would you call that play? It all has to do with thinking and behaving, and so we got to make sure that we align our thinking and behaving as human beings and align them more mm. into God's way of thinking and behaving, which is called His sovereignty. Yeah. I didn't bring this up before, but I had a backseat driver this past week. Oh, you did? Uh, the windshield wipers start going on, and literally Kate's in the back, and she just yells out, I hadn't, no, the, it started raining, but I hadn't turned the windshield wipers on yet. Yeah. And she just yells out, windshield wipers. <laughs> <laughs> so when you bring that up, Kaylee's nudging me. She's like, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So we had a great, yeah. great example of that. So I want to shift gears a bit, okay. and I want to talk about Peter's sleep patterns. Yeah. <laughs> you know, isn't it, um, wouldn't it be funny to, uh, to consider um, just this idea of, um, of you know, believers for, for eons just, just looking at your sleep patterns and criticizing you, but that's what, that's what Peter has. So. <laughs> um, but, I, but you really bring up this idea of, of Peter's sleep um, in one case, he is um, he is not trusting God, and in another case, he is trusting God. So um, yeah. Peter rests on the pattern of Jesus, and he rests on the promises of Jesus. So I think it's really easy for us to look at Gethsemane and just in general, um, you know, a lot of Peter's life and some of what the other um, disciples do and just kind of dog on them a bit. Um, and we certainly see that uh, with with the inner circle, the the three, Peter, James, and John, in the Garden of Gethsemane, they kept falling asleep, right? Yeah. Um, well, but I've never considered it from the the other point of view. So, well, and if you, if you want, and just thinking about it even more right now, as I stand and not sit, just reminding I'm still standing. <laughs> so, um, maybe the blood's flowing yeah. better. So, so, yeah. but Jesus is asking them to to sit and seek the Father for Him. Yeah. Of what's coming down the pipeline. Yeah. And what the church is doing at this point with Peter is they're seeking the Father on what's coming down the pipeline for Peter. Mm. And so it just it just might be one of those things where we we really need to know when we should be seeking the Lord on someone else's behalf. Yeah. Um and yeah, seeking the Lord on on our behalf, but Jesus is coming back as like I mean, guys, why aren't you praying? I need you all to pray. I, the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Like, y'all all need to have a little bit more awareness mm. and, and power that you need to be operating from as you seek the Lord on on even my behalf. Yeah. Because some things are about to happen. Yeah. And I need you to be aware. <laughs> and so, and that's where I feel like in our own life, we do have, and that's why I, I I love that you know at that that you know the adjective strategically that we need to be strict we, we need to be strategic when we sleep and when we seek 
because we, we actually see that in Peter's life. Jesus yeah. wants him awake at yeah. this point, yeah. but he's okay with him sleeping at this point. Yeah. Because Jesus is sleeping at a, a similar point yeah. when when chaos is happening, when when death is in some sense looming. And I think in our in our own life, and again, I'm just going to bring back up your statements of lazy. Is that again? Our, 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 there's a there's a part of us that we would love to have. We would love to be much further along than what we are, mm-hmm. but our flesh is weak, which then shows us. And that's why I can't wait to get to our series later on this year. Iron faith. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you work that faith muscle to where you can seek mm-hmm. in the right times opposing you know opposed to sleeping. At the wrong times, because I feel like that is a spiritual discipline, um, and and Jesus basically calls them out on it. Like you know, spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak right now. You you need to exercise those spiritual muscles, mm. and and eventually he started to exercise those spiritual muscles at least in this capacity of when you sleep, when you seek. Yeah. You know, yeah, and. And in some ways, it's not fair to Peter because we we so highlight, and I think it's really easy for us to, um, like I said, dog on him at the Garden of Gethsemane, but then we see him sleeping on the promises of God the night before he's supposed to be executed, and we just blow right past it. I mean, maybe I'm not I'm the only one, but I was like, yeah. how have I not seen that before? Well, I know that, and this may be another good, you know, kind of differentiating point is Jesus is asking them to seek the Father with him in an awareness of what the Father is doing, not out of a worry and concern of what's about to happen. That's helpful, yeah. And what we typically do is we're constantly worrying Mm. and concerning ourselves over something that we cannot control, and therefore we're losing sleep. Yeah. And again, the seeking part, it might be over something that we... In a human way, we might be concerned and worried over, but no, you're trying to be aware Mm. at what God might be doing Mm. and making sure that you're strong enough to endure what God might be doing Mm. versus being so restless over Mm. something that that you cannot control. Mm. And that's where – so Peter, he's sleeping in something that he knows he cannot, he knows he cannot control. Mm. So therefore, he's taken his cue and patterned himself after Jesus mm. in the sense of, even though Jesus could control it, but also the promise that Jesus made to him: "When you are old, awesome. like and um, and I, you know, I'm trying to remember the Greek word there for old in John 21, but I'm almost, I'm almost positive. So don't hold me to it, but I, I'm almost positive it's the Greek word for where we get our English word gerontology from. Mm. Which at this point in Peter's life, now again, Jesus died at 33. Mm-hmm. The disciples. Most scholars would say that the disciples are younger than Jesus. And so some would put them in their 20s, you know, but even if they were at the same age, uh, he's less than 40. So he's not an old man yet. I mean, yeah. so yeah. so he's somewhere between, I mean, he could be mid-20s to 40s, somewhere around there. So he's not an old man yet. Hmm. It's important to know God's promises. Yeah. Because that will help you sleep in the comfort of his promises, not being restless over the concerns that you cannot control. Amen. And and that really leads us to the next point that you 
um, spend a good deal of time on, which is prayer. Um, and, and one quote that I want to pull out and uh, get your thoughts on, you were talking about, you said prayer is not meant to be a disappointment, mm. but should be seen as a divine appointment with the one running our life. Yeah. And I, and I have, I mean, I, I put it in my notes and, you know, I, I wrestled, do I say disappointment? Because how many times have we been disappointed? Yeah. Be, yeah. And because that's after the the list that I shared about moms. Yes. And so, again, I mean, just even applying it to the realm of motherhood, how many disappointments are out there? And, and what I'm really tr- what I'm really trying to get at with that is God's not up in heaven going I can't wait to disappoint my children right like I mean if you think about even you know parenthood I mean, it's not like our you know it's not like parents live to disappoint their children mm-hmm. so that's why I want people to realize that prayer is not meant to be a disappointment in our life yeah but a divine appointment to communicate with the one running our life. Because ultimately, he's the one running it. Hmm. And he's working, and again, that's where he's working within our strategy, our responsibility, our our, our ways of thinking and behaving. And so making sure that that our, our ways of thinking and behaving, our strategies for human living, they're aligning with his sovereignty of how he's working in and through and over the world, not working in opposition. Because again, Going back to like non Christians and even us, like God's still working out His sovereign will, even in the midst of our opposition. When things don't, when when what we do or think or how we would go, like it doesn't fully align with Him. Like He's still working it out to the very end. Yeah. And so, um, so that's where I, I I don't want us to. I, I never want us. And it's so. Here's the thing. It's okay to be disappointed. Mm. So that that's not what I was. Uh, I'm not saying that we'll never be disappointed, but I'm. But I'm. But what I'm saying is, prayer is not meant to be a disappointment. Yeah, it's not the purpose. That's not the purpose. Yeah. So again, it, it, it's okay to. I mean, we see with Mary and Martha, Jesus. If you weren't, it, it, if yeah. you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. I mean, clearly they're disappointed. But but know this, uh, Jesus did not stay. You know, some some he, he did he not he did not stay the extra time so that they would be disappointed, mm. Mm. but so that God would get the glory. Mm. <laughs> so I mean, that, that, again, so it's not about the disappointment. It really is about the divine appointment with the one running your life. Because Jesus, and going back to even John eleven with Mary and Martha, well, do you believe in the resurrection? Well, of course we believe. We'll, we'll see him again, but. I am the resurrection and life. So again, this divine appointment, he stayed a couple extra days so that he could arrange the divine appointment where they would be aware of God in a way that they were not aware of him before. Mm. So again, it's not about the disappointment. Yeah. It's about the divine appointment. Yeah, and that speaks to the main point, You know how, how we have to align our human strategy with God's sovereignty, but that you know that's that's the rub because the mystery of God's sovereignty and then the the disappointment in our prayer it's a it can be a challenge. Yeah, I mean think about it. So um, I mean just think about it. if you were I, I don't I, I'm not a really good mathematician at all. Like uh, my 
even Luke, who's in fifth grade, I don't know how to do his math. Okay. Like I was trying to help him with this math homework, and I'm like, you just gotta wait till your mom gets here. <laughs> so I was like, it's fifth grade, and so but <laughs> but but, ima- but, ima- but imagine like if you're sitting down and you're trying to learn math from like a like a NASA you know mathematician engineer, and yeah. they're trying to explain it to you, and they're they're trying to break it down, and there could be times where you're extremely frustrated, like I just don't get it. how did you arrive, like yeah. Multiply that by inf- you know infinity. That's trying to understand the mind of God. Yeah, and our, our minds just cannot compute and comprehend the the mind mm. of God. And so that's where a lot of times we're going to have to trust His heart, even though we don't understand what His hands are doing. Mm. Joe, does that make sense? Yes, sir. All right. No, because it's way over my head. Is what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Are you smarter than a fifth grade? Yeah. yeah. Well, on the, some the answer is maybe. In some, it depends on what subject. Yes, yes, so. yes. So as we uh, as we wrap up our final question, we have to talk about this idea of Christians shouldn't be strategically stupid. Um, you, you bring up an interesting point about. You know, we, you will call out, and we should call out the wayward people of God, but we also desire unity. Mm-hmm. Because you said one of the stupidest strategies is fighting with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, God's wayward people shouldn't be called out. So, so how, do we, how do we balance that, right? Fighting for unity, but realizing that, um, that the wayward people of God need, need to be called out. What, how can you can you talk a little bit more about that? It's easier said than done. Yeah. So I get you know I get that because part of part of being able to call one another out stems from being in community with one another. Yeah. Which is which is why today it makes it a little bit more complicated. Hmm. Because there are a lot of pe- there are a lot of professing believers that lob grenades just like Satan does, without community. Without community, like I, I mean, I like I see it, and it and and it really does. It agitates me. It angers me mm-hmm. that that Christians they do they lob grenades, which is a cowardly way of, and which again, it, it's a stupid way. I mean, it's not only cowardly. But it's stupid. And I understand that there are Christians, they've been hurt by the church, and so I'm just going to hurt them back. But what they don't realize is they're hurting Jesus. Mm-hmm. So while you, you, you know, while you might be thinking that you're, you, you know, that, that you're doing to them what they've done to you, but you, what you don't realize is ultimately the church is still the body of Christ, even in her imperfection. Yeah. And so, again, cowardly. It's a stupid strategy because it goes in direct opposition to what Jesus has called us to do, which is to pursue unity. So that so the complication is, is that they're not in community, so they're not here. So do you go chasing people that aren't here? I, I, that's where I would say no. Yeah. So that's where I give it up to the sovereignty of God. Mm. And so my prayer for those that I don't know that's not in community with Northland, if they attack Northland, but yet they, they profess to be Christians, I ask, I, asked, I ask our Father in heaven if he would bring conviction to their life. 
because I, I'm not because I don't want to go after someone that I'm not in community with, which I think is part of the problem I have with social media right now. Right. With the way other church leaders go after other church leaders, you're not in community. Or have been given authority to shepherd over their life. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's one of them. Again, I'm, 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 I keep hounding this point. It's strategically stupid. It is strategically stupid. Hmm. It really is B- because it shows the disunity, the division, yeah. the divisiveness, and and the vitriol. And we spend more time fighting one another than finding ways to reach others. Hmm. And and again, it saddens my heart. Um, you, you know, and and but but here's where like and and there are times too that as the pastor at Northland, when I see people attack Northland, it is hard. Like I want to go after them, like. But but I'm like, okay, are they in community? Because and here's the thing that we try to process behind the scenes: are they part of Northland right now? You know, are are they somebody who's gone to Northland before? And you know, because again, if they're not in community, if they're not trying to pursue community. Uh, but if they are, then what we're going to do is strategically go to them and go, hey, man, what's, you know, what's going on? Sure. You, you know, like you, you said this. I mean, obviously, so because we want to be reconciled because that is a strategically sovereign thing in God's eyes to be reconciled to one another, not to hurt one another. Mm. Um, and then, yes, the the strategically stupid thing that we do is obviously we we fly, you know we throw hand grenades too to the enemy, uh, or I say the enemy, not the enemy, the, those who are far from the Lord, who are at enmity with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we we see there's there's a real balance because. Um, as we fight for yeah. unity, uh, it doesn't mean we just have to be yeah. um, or can be soft on the gospel. Yeah. And just think of it, you know, because I said it's hard to win people that when you're warring with them. But you could also say it this way. It's hard to win people when you're busy warring with one another. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, again, and that's, and I, and I love when you look at, when you look at scripture and the way Jesus went after people far from, from God, I, I, you know, and that's where, if you even look at Jesus, they, they, they were actually trying to kill him, but he would sneak away. It wasn't his time yet. Yeah. It wasn't his time yet. Yeah. So, and, and that's, and, and again, you see that pattern too play out with the church. Mm. You see it with Peter. You see it with Paul. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so they slip out of cities. Yeah. I mean, so so that's where I'm like, you, you know, be smart. Like now if they catch you, now and again, and um, when you see Paul going to Jerusalem, why are you going to Jerusalem? God's calling me there. Mm-hmm. Like so so unless, you, you know, and well, you know what's going to happen. But but God, He's calling me there. And then when He when He trusts the Lord in that step, He understands it's for one more step, and that is to appeal to Caesar. So 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 there's this reason why Paul is actually going back into kind of the lion's mouth. Yeah. But and that's because the Lord called him to go into the lion's mouth. So the Lord hasn't called you uh, to, in some sense, get caught. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. As a, yeah. uh, then 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 they're they're constantly escaping and fleeing so that they continue to live mm. as they advance the mission of Christ. Mm. So so that's why again it, it's this being strategically smart as opposed to. Strategically stupid. Yeah, it's um, it's great to hear um, 
our pastors say stupid. <laughs> it's a little shocking. So, like, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, somebody was so funny. Uh, we were in our staff meeting today, and one of the staff, they were at home. They didn't feel well, and they were watching online. And their their elementary school age. Did Pastor Josh just say stupid? And so yeah, yeah. So you, so. you counted on right middle school and above being in the service, but you didn't count on on. I didn't count on the elementary watching me online. <laughs> so, but there there you have it. So, well, Northland family and friends, we are super super grateful for you. You are dearly loved and. We just continue to challenge and encourage all of us to press into the, the sovereignty of God as He works out His plan in, through, and over the world. Love you. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.